Welcome to the Fairview Baptist Church Discipleship Podcast. This is a resource designed to help the covenant members of Fairview Baptist Church carry out our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson, and today I'm joined by Matt Capps, Jared Sneed, and Mike Healan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been going through a series of podcasts focused on the topic of worship. And so today is sort of like this culmination of everything that we've talked about so far. Um, Let me say this, if you've missed the previous three episodes, let me encourage you to press pause right now and go back and listen to the other three first, because we sort of laid the foundation for today's episode through those. Now, in the first episode, we talked about why we worship, which we said was for the glory of God. In the second episode, we talked about what is worship, which is our proper response to God. And then in our third episode, we talked about how we worship. Uh, Basically, we, we do that by delighting in the commands of God and desiring to obey them. And today, we'll talk about how all of that shapes the way we, sh- we worship here at Fairview. And so, let's jump right in. Uh, Matt, I want to start with you by asking, who is the church service intended for? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about the priority of prophecy over the gift of tongues. And uh, without getting into that discussion, Paul makes an interesting statement that everything in the gathered church should be done for edifying believers. Now, I know this sounds somewhat uh, strange, but when an unbeliever attends the gathering, uh, there should be a sense in which uh, I think they feel both out of place and then strangely drawn into what's happening. So ultimately, we we should be able to proclaim um, who God is uh, among those who are gathered, um, but the primary focus is for those um, who are believers. Paul also says everything should be done uh, decently and in order. So the structure of the service and the execution of that order is also for believers. So uh, first of all, the very structure of the service, I think, intuitively instructs us in how to approach God uh, in earlier traditions, this is called a liturgy, but it's just an intentionality about how we structure the service. And so if the purpose of the worship gathering is both to encourage understanding of Jesus Christ and by implication, uh, a growth in the faith of um, the believers, um, this is large uh, scale discipleship or spiritual formation uh, for the group. Um, but we also have the understanding that non-believers will join us. So we need to prepare the order of our services in such a way that points to God's glory, uh, convicts us of sin, shows us the need for Christ, uh, so that non-believers really see the gospel in action. That is clearly articulated or animated in the service. So um, when they see the love that we have for God and the love that God has for us through Christ, and th- they see our Christ-shaped love for one another as a body, uh, they can certainly agree, hopefully, that, uh, that God is among us. Well, excellent. So just to summarize, uh, our church gathering is is primarily for the believing saints, uh, yet at the same time, we recognize that we're going to have non-believers that are probably in attendance. Now, Matt, as we begin, uh, discuss how the gospel might influence our conversation uh, today. I think this is extremely important because the gospel brings people together that otherwise may never come together. Uh, You have people of different ethnicities, different socioeconomic status, different ages, really different demographics are in the room when you worship. And so this dividing wall of hostility between the different groups is broken down in Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Paul argues in Ephesians 2. This is why the church should be, at least from the world's perspective, this eclectic group of people who are different, but at the same time unified under their faith in Christ. So all of these different groups of people, they they love and 
and they serve one another um, and consider others more important than themselves. You know, this is, to be completely honest, this is why one of the one of the reasons I have um, a difficulty when when churches argue over personal music preferences, because when it comes to music, I think we should all be willing to lay down our preferences or bend our preferences for the sake of others. And honestly, the most important thing to me uh, when it comes to music is that it is biblically informed, that is theologically uh, correct, but also congregationally uh, singable. Uh, there, there are cultural and contextual considerations as well, but I always want to start with the idea that the songs should be biblically informed and congregationally singable because I want us to focus on what is beneficial for all and not just on what blesses a few. So when we come together, all of us are laying down preferences in some way in order to love and serve someone else. We can, When we can get past things like musical preferences, we can really see this beautiful indication uh, of the glory of God among us as a church family. And you can see really the gospel in action as this eclectic group of people who are different. And even with different preferences, lay it down for the greater good of the glory of God and the mission of the church. I think it's so important to start here and and even to remind us uh, remind ourselves of this often because it's so easy to get angry with each other over what what we think should happen in churches and I think it's the gospel that reminds us that even though we might have our our own personal preferences about something uh, we're we're willing to lay it down for the good of the church as a whole for the glory of God. And so Jared, let me paint you a a little scenario here, okay? All right. So you and I were were planning a Sunday service, and and in front of us we have this blank sheet of paper. How do you and I? We how do we decide uh, what to fill the service with? Uh, what how do we know what to include and what not to include? Yeah, great question. So we uh, we start with the why. So why are we gathering? Well, the glory of God and Jesus Christ in the gospel. So if we want to see God's glory. We have to saturate our services with the Word, since that's where truth comes from. And then we talk about the what. So what do we do? Well, if what is uh, the, our proper response to God, as we talked about in the second part of this series, then we use that four-part response of worship, uh, the adoration, confession, thankfulness, and instruction. We use that as the template of our service. So we begin with adoration, recognize God's holiness, and that leads us to confess our sin. We remember God's pardon and grace, and so then we're expressing thankfulness. And that uh, helps us be ready to hear instruction from the Word uh, and hear what God wants to tell us from the Word. And so then we talk about the how, okay? Then how are we going to accomplish this? What elements do we include in this template to fill out the order? Uh, Well, we do what God has commanded us to do. Baptism, Lord's Supper, pray, sing, give, read the Word, preach the Word. These are the things that are commanded in the New Testament for us to do in our church services. All right, very good. All right, Mike, um, I've given the, the easy questions so far to Matt and Jared, and so let's go ahead and sort of take the gloves off and, and get serious here for a moment, okay? So I think it's fair to say that worship in the church is one of those topics that can cause some tension, um, although uh, I'm, I'm not really sure that it should uh, because the worship service is about the gospel. 
Um, now, let's say uh, I go over to the storage room in the annex building and I pull out this big purple box that's full of puppets that we store over there. Now, to be honest, this is something I actually do on a regular basis. I, <laughs> I love to pull them out and play with the kids that come in during the week. But let's say I, I want to start a puppet ministry and then I want to bring that ministry before the church on Sunday. Can I do that? Well, I'd like to see you playing with your puppets during the week <laughs> all by yourself over there. That would be really cool to watch. All right. but... We'll set up a time. All right. Actually, Jared, Jared needs to answer the question about the, uh, the puppets. But before he does, <clears throat> I'd like to point out that that question introduces a discussion of the normative and regulative principles of worship. Now, hang on, as I bring some explanation to these technical terms, because they are important considerations for us here in our discussion. The normative principle says that whatever is not expressly forbidden in Scripture, specifically the New Testament, is acceptable in worship. So, in addition to worship elements expressly commanded in the New Testament, the normative principle would also permit things like dramas, artistic paintings with instrumental backgrounds, liturgical dance, solos, or other small ensemble special music, even choirs or other music used as performance. These things are not commanded in the New Testament, but they're also not forbidden. The regulative principle, on the other hand, says that only that which is commanded in the Scripture is acceptable in worship. Those that hold to this view would exclude what is not commanded, but also not forbid, not forbidden, because they only want to do what is commanded in Scripture and nothing more. So it's a rather exclusive approach to, to worship. Now, most evangelical Christians are somewhere on a spectrum between rigid regu regulative and the anything-goes normative. For instance, most who lean to the regulative side also use technology, microphones, musical instruments, and uh, they consider them to be tools to support the elements which are commanded. Sadly, and to the detriment of the church, strong disagreements and carnal attitudes can arise when people think something needs to be included and done in a certain way when others don't agree. Yeah, I think it's important to say also that someone can be on extreme sides of both of those, the normative and regulative principle, and um, that's not necessarily sinning. So the extreme regulative principal person, let's call him regulative Reggie, may not even use instruments at all in the church because there's no command in the New Testament that says uh, to do so. Or the extreme normative person, uh, normative norm, uh, may use, may think it's, it's, it's a great idea to use an artistic painting as an element during the service because they truly believe that it is edifying to the body and uh, it's a giving to God of a talent that God has given them. So having said all that, um, okay, Jared, we'll, we'll throw it to you to answer the question. So the, the original question was about bringing in the puppets, right? Okay. So I would say that uh, we here at Fairview, we, we are leaning towards the regu regulative side, um, regulative principle in our worship services. But we also use tools uh, that are not forbidden but not commanded, uh, like the sound system and the mics and the projectors. So I would say no to the puppets in the Sunday morning worship service because then it becomes an, an element or of the order of worship. And for me as a leader, I really want to try to steward that time 
for what God has commanded us to do in the Bible. So, I will always say yes to what is commanded over what is not forbidden because of time. So, if we say, well, then let's extend our service, like let's make it longer so that we can put in some of these um, elements. And I would say, great, let's extend it. But then if we say, well, two hours compared to 168 hours of the week, it would still want me to to fill up that time with what is commanded and just more of it rather than adding in some of these other normative elements. But the second part uh, to answer this question is that uh, the normative principle elements of worship, like the dramas or the painting, liturgical dance, um, the solos or specials, these these things can be edifying, and they can be done with a heart of worship. Uh, And so if people want to see these things or, or take part in them, then we can do them. Uh, we can do them at another time outside of the Sunday morning worship because we want to make um, the Sunday morning worship primarily for what is commanded. And so th- this is the same reason that I wouldn't uh, do patriotic-themed services on a Sunday morning because of the time we have. So why would I want to plan to sing about anything less than our Lord? Like, I really love our country. I really do love America, and I love the old good patriotic songs. I love some John Philip Sousa. So, I mean, I really do enjoy it, but just not on Sunday morning. Well, all right then. So, at this point then, our worship service, it's it's started to take its shape. Uh, We're trying to focus on the things that God has commanded us to do, and so we're baptizing people, we're observing the Lord's Supper, we're praying, we're singing, we're giving, uh, we're reading the Word, and we're, we're preaching the Word. Uh, and we're going to do all of these things in such a way that it's it's saturated with the Bible and it's centered on Christ. Now, Matt, uh, I'm thinking at least uh, that we should start our service like right out the gate with some sort of Christian power ballad. I mean, something that like gets Josh Benfield <laughs> pumped up. What says you? <laughs> Look, I really, I actually, I enjoy beginning the service with an upbeat song. I mean, I mean, after all, we begin with adoration, and beholding our God is a majestic experience, and there is a sense of adoration that should stir our emotions. But before adoration, I don't know if you've noticed, we we read scripture um, before we adore God, we have to behold who God is. And that happens when we see God revealed in His Word. So the very first thing we do in our service is issue a call to worship using Scripture. We want God Himself by His Word to call us to worship when we gather. And um, it's very intentional that we start with God's Word because in that sense, we're putting the horse before um, the cart. Now, somebody may say, well, I, I, I'll be more stirred by an emotional song than I am by Scripture. And I would say, well, the problem then is not Scripture, it's your heart. Scripture is the way God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. So I think uh, the, the best way for us to begin our service is to begin with Scripture. It's how God has revealed Himself to us. We want the truth of the Word to stir our hearts. The emotion needs to be there, and the emotion is there with the adoration, but it, it has to follow um, the truth. We want it to come from the truth. So uh, we want the first and the last thing we hear in our gatherings on Sunday morning to be 
the Bible, the very Word of God. All right then, Mike. Then how would you recommend that we we choose the music for the service? Uh, this is uh, real close to my heart. Thank you for giving that question to me. So music, music really is an extremely powerful form of expression that God has given us. And uh, it's put it in the, the heart of every human being, no matter where you are in the world, a love of music. Uh, I hear people all over the world, they sing entirely different kinds of music, but there's, there's in us a, a gravitation towards music. Uh, it's a blessing and it's a joy that we get to use music to worship God. However, it can also be easily used simply for an emotional manipulation. Uh, to make people feel a certain way. In fact, that happens a lot in different churches. And as we've made clear in, in, in our previous podcast, worship is not merely an emotional experience. And we must not judge the depth of our worship simply by sentiment, sentimentalism or by how we are moved by it. We can't necessarily say that because we had an emotional experience that we truly worshiped unless that emotional response came because of the truth we were dwelling on in the song or in the prayer or uh, in, the, in the scripture itself. When we, when we choose songs and musical style, it has to start with the content. I think we've made that clear in the past. So what, what is the song saying lyrically? It starts there because the truth must inform our emotional response. There's the cart and the horse situation. The truth must inform our emotional response. We must choose songs with lyrics that are biblically true and theologically rich. We want to use lyrics that thematically fit the scripture that we're looking at in that service. If the lyrics convey biblical truth, then we can look Look at the song's singability, the style of a song, the tempo, and how the song may appropriately fit into our service template. However, if the words, uh, words in it, um, in, the, in the lyrics, are theologically unsound, or they're simply shallow, a, a, mix, a mismatch of religious words, and, and I tell you, a lot of a lot of uh, songs that I've heard, not just contemporary songs, but songs from the past, are very shallow. Um, they, can, they convey very little of substance. So no matter how popular a song may be, uh, no matter how, how, how much dear aunt so-and-so must have loved that song, it really shouldn't be used and shouldn't have a place in our church worship. Yeah, typically, uh, you know, typically songs of adoration are, are a little more upbeat, and there's nothing wrong with starting with the upbeat song first. But sometimes songs of adoration are really slow tempo, and there's nothing wrong with starting the service with a slow song. Uh, and so what we're saying is that we're just intentionally choosing songs with lyrics that reflect Scripture first, and then fitting those in musically. Uh, and so I actually have a document that I use that it, helps me filter lyrics and music. And so if a song doesn't really pass through that filter, then I don't really want to use it on a Sunday morning. Good. Uh, and it's because I, I really care about the truth it's presenting for the discipleship of the people. And having said that, music should be done in a, um, a subtly excellent way. So it should be done with quality as much as possible. It should be beautiful and pleasing. So Psalm 33 tells us to play skillfully on stringed instruments. And 1 Corinthians 14 says that everything should be done decently. So we want 
beauty and we want quality in our music, but not to control feelings in the room. We're not crafting a feeling. We're crafting a gospel presentation with the service structure itself. And the tempo and the feeling of certain songs, that, that actually takes a back seat to that. Um, but whether, whether a song is beautiful or not, that can be highly subjective. Uh, and, but most people can appreciate uh, the beauty of art, even if they don't prefer a particular style. And so they can recognize if something is done well, even if it's not a style that they would have chosen. Okay then, gentlemen, so stylistically, then what type of music should we do? Do we use a piano or, say, an organ, or do we have a choir in robes, or uh, can we just throw out some techno or maybe just a little bit of polka? Uh, Someone else can answer the stylistic component of this, Um, but I'll, I'll point out this. There's a contextual question you have to consider as well. There are both timeless and temporary aspects um, to the worship gathering. Uh, the gospel, the message, the truth of Scripture, that's, that is timeless. Um, the truth never changes because God himself never changes. Uh, but the methods and the tools that um, we've been speaking about uh, to share that unchanging message um, are, are really constantly changing. I mean, a church that never changes ends up um, like the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, right? So they're um, elevating a method or a tool uh, to the place of a command. Uh, So a church has to be willing at least to change the temporary tools and the methods of their worship music intentionally and thoughtfully um, in order to proclaim the unchanging message of the gospel. So if someone comes to me and says, I can't worship because you guys have drums, or I can't worship because uh, we don't have hymnals, or, or I can't worship because there's, there's a praise choir on the stage accompanying the song leader, I think that person is missing the heart of worship. They've elevated a human tradition or even personal preferences or human tools uh, to the wrong place. Well said, Matt. We don't eliminate older hymns simply because they're old, and neither should we avoid contemporary compositions on the opposite basis simply because we don't use stuff that's brand new. Uh, This is in line, I believe, with Christ's characterization of the kingdom in Matthew 13, 52, where it's written, Therefore, he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. Now, it's, it's most important that we, we do music in such a way that obeys the Bible commands concerning singing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16 both instruct us to sing together corporately. So we want to do music in such a way that obeys that command. We want the congregation's voice to be the primary goal in our music. We want to hear the encouraging sounds of other people around, around us singing in order to obey those passages. Then we consider uh, the music style and even the volume of the sound system to accomplish that goal. Stylistic consideration and instrumentation are the tools, then, that support the commanded element of worship in those passages, that is, singing together as a congregation. And that is what we must do. Yeah, so congregational singing, then, is the primary goal. But, you know, for our space and our time here, 2021, in our region of the earth, Apex, North Carolina, in our Fairview community, 
someone has to make the decision of what style of music that we use. <laughs> and so uh, as the music leader, we have music leaders, we have to just decide. We can't do uh, anything and everything. We can't do every style of music because it would be a culture shock week to week. Uh, and musical style in a church then has to come from leaders' decisions that, that they believe will work well within their cultural context. And so it, it seems to me that this would lend itself for our current time to use a band setting with a mix of hymns and new songs uh, with a sort of acoustic rock style. And so we, we keep our, our sound system volume as best as we can between the 80 to 90 decibel range so that we can hear each other singing. We keep the lights on in the room and we don't use the smoke machines or heavy production because we want to be able to see one another and hear one another and have the focus be on the voices around us and on the lyrics of the songs. You know, someone in our church might disagree with those decisions. But again, that's that's the beauty of the gospel because we're we're all coming into our gathering expecting to lay down some of these preferences for others. And really the the musical style that I just described that we use here is really not my personal preference at all. But it seems like a good decision now for our culture. But, you know, in 70 years, the acoustic guitar might go the way of the harpsichord and the Gregorian chant. You know, like, it's a tool that we use for our time. Um, one of the things I, I say a lot to, to check my own heart, to check hearts when it comes to musical style and preferences, I say, pick the style of music that you hate the most, but put the most God-honoring and glorifying lyrics that you can on that music. And can you still worship? I know it's not your preference, but that's a, that's a really challenging question for myself, but a good question to wrestle with. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about music, and we could say so much more, and we really didn't even get into a lot of the other elements that go into our worship services. So, I mean, really, this conversation on worship could continue on and on. Yes, it could. And I think uh, what we've done is we try to provide an overall framework or really the philosophy of worship in these podcasts. And I think over time, as you are a member of Fairview or attending Fairview, you're going to see these things played out week by week in the worship service. And we're always available if you want to come and ask us questions or, or to talk about these things. I think these are important conversations, but for the sake of time, we probably need to pull this podcast to a close. Well, uh, we, we certainly could keep going, uh, but that's about all the time we have today. Uh, but I, I, do want, I do have one more question for you guys uh, as we finish up our time together. And I believe it's a good one. Uh, it's one I, I wish I could ask your wives as well, but for the sake of this podcast, we'll just get your take. All right, Jared, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, what's one bad habit you would like to get rid of? Uh, probably, uh, going to bed too late. I, uh, I pretty consistently go to bed too late. And so it makes waking up in the morning just makes me really tired. For me, I would say checking text messages and emails when I'm in my study here at church during my sermon prep time. It's mm. so distracting to not be focused, uh, when your phone's dinging and you see your emails piling up. 
Well, for me, uh, it's going to be very similar to, to Matt's. Uh, I sit down to have my devotions in the morning, and I found it very handy to use uh, a, a devotion app on mm. my iPad. And uh, But the first thing that pops up on my iPad are a whole list of news items, and I want to check those things out. And before you know it, I've wasted 15 or 20 minutes when I could be in the Word of God. That's a habit I need to get over. Well, you guys got really good ones. Uh, mine, not not quite as good. Um, so me, I've had this habit for several years where uh, if I get anxious or nervous, I start to pick at my eyebrows. Uh, I'll pluck out. And <laughs> yeah, I always, notice, your, notice your eyebrows uh, are disappearing. <laughs> I always start on the left eyebrow, and then eventually I'll say, well, I need to switch eyebrows, and I'll start on the right side. And if you ever see me and both of my eyebrows are almost gone, then you know it's been a tough week. So I, I need to cut that one. You could start working on your beard a little bit. Yeah, well, I could. Well, on that note, uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today. And until next time, Fairview, may we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.